You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame Hour. And uh, General Dix, I'm not sure the world is ready for this, but we'll give them a, we'll test it out and see if it'll stay on its axis. Okay? Yeah, let's give them a chance. I'm going to be an airborne ranger. I'm going to live a life of danger. Sound off. One, two, three, four. Three, four. Break it on down. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Well, we survived. It's not rocking anyway. No, I'm not rocking. I'm not. <laughs> you want to do your own now? Yeah, let's, let's, do a, let's do another one. All right. You got it. Left, your left, your, your left, right, right left. Your left, your left, your left, right, get on down. Your left, your left, your left, right, get on down. They say that in the army the chow is mighty fine. The chicken jumped off the table and killed a friend of mine. Oh, Lord, I want to go, but they won't let me go. Oh, Lord, I want to go, but they won't let me go home. Home, home. They say that in the army the pay is mighty fine. They give you a hundred dollars and take back ninety nine. Oh Lord, I wanna go, but they won't let me go. Oh Lord, I wanna go home. Hey, hey, you're in good voice today. Yep. So that's the story of why the Army's soldiers are always broke. They always take back 99. <laughs> that's it. And uh, that other dollar spent on a can of beer. <laughs> Near beer. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> As they said. But this is um, this show is, is one of the few shows, because we do it, that I look forward to every week. And having General Richard Dixon is, is a pleasure, as always. And um, he's got a couple of guests today absolutely and uh the one we'll be calling in in a minute and we'll get him on and uh you want to introduce your other guest yes i've got dr denise cosby from executive business solutions uh she's in the studio and uh she is uh my little sister and uh a great american that believes in taking care of the military and uh she wanted to come and observe our uh, broadcast this morning or this afternoon and uh see what we do and uh see how she could help us uh, get the word out. What do we do? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> we uh, kind of tell stories and we talk about uh, the past and, you know, uh, we, we talk about uh, key elements that should not be forgotten. Well, you know, the uh, one thing, the, the comments that I've gotten on the show is the fact that uh, uh, you and I banner back and forth well, and but it's, uh, it's sort of like what we learned about Vietnam. Um, a veteran will talk to a veteran, but a veteran won't talk to someone that hadn't been there and done that Absolutely. in some shape, form, or fashion. Mm-hmm. And uh, yours was in some shape and form. Mine was just in some fashion. <laughs> uh, you know, I had the tapered uh, fatigues going in and mm-hmm. uh, my Cochrane jump boots. Yep. Everybody had to have the Cochrane. Absolutely. But anyway, and... 
talk about getting me next to a plane to jump out of? No way in the world. Absolutely. Why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? You know? Never figured that out. Like, I believe the military, I believe the Army had the saying, there are only two things that fall out of the sky. <laughs> Those paratroopers and the birds that they shot. That's it. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm going to turn it back over to you and let her rip. Well, you know, I think uh, a great segue, David, for uh, this show is uh, talking about uh, continuing that lessons learned approach. And that's what uh, Colonel Joseph Latner, uh, U.S. Army retired, is going to bring to the table. Uh, he was a young second lieutenant that deployed from uh, Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, we'll get him on and ask him a few questions about uh, what it was like. Uh, back in the early 90s uh, to go into Desert Shield and then uh, transform into Desert Storm from uh, the world's preeminent uh, cavalry division and uh, corps out at Fort Hood, Texas. And, uh, you know, one of the good things about the show is that we get a chance to talk to veterans and get veterans to open up about what they've seen, the experiences that they've had, how did they learn from it, and uh, it's a part of the healing process. And uh, that's what we're here to do, heal the veterans, but also share those valuable stories that uh, America needs to hear. Absolutely. There, there was nothing scarier to a, um, what would you say, E6, E7, maybe E8, than a... Uh, a brand new second lieutenant. Brand new second lieutenant. <laughs> exactly. I didn't. I was trying to think. How could I say that tactfully? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you introduce a butter bar, as they uh, affectionately call us mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, into a new platoon, and uh, you know you got seasoned vets that you know have been there, done that, and you got a young kid coming straight out of college or the academy. And, uh, you know, that's a hard pill for some people to swallow sometimes. Sir, how long do you expect to live? Yeah, and uh, if you listen to us, you'll be fine. Do what we tell you to do, and, you know, uh, you'll learn the rest uh, on the on the job training. So, um, you know, words of wisdom that still oh, ring JT. true. Absolutely. Oh, JT. Absolutely. Now, you know, the one thing that, uh, or not one thing, but many things that uh, find very interesting in talking to people that listen, you know, the the fact, again, of us bantering back and forth and, mm-hmm. and saying OJT, who knows what, or AG or NG or, mm-hmm. or AR, I'm sorry, AR or NG or whatever, and people don't know what we're talking about. Right. And uh, yet uh, I spent, <laughs> as an NG from Texas in mechanized Guardsman. infantry. National yeah. Guardsman. Yes, sir. And, uh, and, uh, Light arms infantry and mechanized infantry. I got to tour Fort Hood, and one I must say the one thing that was neat, and when they'd pop the uh, flares at night mm-hmm. and light up the illuminate the the whole the gun ranges. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was neat. Oh that yeah, neat. you know, and those are the the type of things that you know it, it never grows old. No, and uh, you know to this day they still illuminate those night ranges. And uh, in the same same uh, field artillery fashion, you know, the queen of battle. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's telling how some things stay the same and they, you know, they just grow and continue. And it always reverts back to, you know, day one of when you were in the Army back in the early 60s and uh, 50s to when I was in it in the uh, mid-80s. 
And uh, it's just amazing how some things never change. You know, you'd, you'd get so accustomed to it that you'd, you'd hear the initial pop, mm-hmm. and you knew it, you knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> for not lack of better things to do, it just got to be a routine. One, two, three, and see how long before you saw the light. Absolutely. You know? And uh, been there, done that. Amen. Amen. So, um, some of the uh, the things that um, you know we probably want to highlight uh, this week is uh, you know once again we're looking at the uh, 29th year uh, since we deployed into uh, Saudi Arabia and Desert Storm, and um, you know we we want to highlight that and we want to bring that into perspective. So that was one of the reasons why we wanted to have Colonel Ladner on today to talk about, you know, the alert process that he received at Fort Hood and then walk us through how Fort Hood prepared to go to war. So I, I think we might have him on. Love that technology. Okay, now you should hear us. Hey Joe, are you there? I can't hear you. Okay. Hey, so how you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing today? How are we doing? Uh, thanks for having me on. All right. Hey, so um, we want to talk about your experiences uh, getting the alert and then preparing to deploy and then loading up your equipment and leaving uh, Fort Hood, Texas. What was that like? That's the best thing that ever happened to you as far as I'd be concerned. <laughs> I-, I tell you, at, at the time, being a lieutenant, it was uh, challenging. We loved the training at Fort Hood with the a good place to train and everything there was more uh, mechanized heavy uh, combat equipment tanks mm-hmm. and things like that so uh, we got the alert kind of August time frame mm-hmm. we went through our train up and prep uh, since I was a lieutenant I had a 50 I was in a general supply company mm-hmm. so we had a lot of heavy equipment uh, so we prepped uh, we looked over our tents and heaters and things like t- uh, cots and things like that to make sure we had enough for our soldiers. Uh, we packed it in a way, we packed it in containers in a way so we could uh, get everything out and have it broken down in containers by section. So when we pulled things out, it was by section. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made sure we trained up again on weapons and uh, things like that. And, you know, what we found out that land navigation was different in the desert, so we work, we, we try to work through that. Mm-hmm. And one unique thing about uh, Fort Hood, it, it, it's particularly in the 13th COSCOM, that was that was 13th Comeback Support Command is mm-hmm. what I was in. Um, we tried to tailor the force to what we, to a combat, um, a multifunctional combat unit. So, mm-hmm. What happened, I was in a, a supply and service battalion, and they started looking at, and we had a transportation battalion, maintenance battalions, and so they looked across all battalions, mm-hmm. at least the commander of the 13th Coscom did, and said, we're going to uh, task organize, sort of like combat arms would do by merging infantry and armor together, mm-hmm. and we task organized to make sure every battalion had a maintenance slice a supply slice uh, and a transportation slice. Hmm. And then there were some u- unique uh, 
battalions that had uh, field services and water, mm-hmm. stuff like that. When I, when I say field services, been able to do laundry support and things like that, uh-huh. and water purification and things like that. So uh, that that sounds familiar, Joe. Sounds a lot like uh, today's deployments and uh, how they're. <laughs> it was. I think uh, the command at that time was forward thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, as a lieutenant, we just said, "Okay, we're, we're going to be in this battalion." So my company was sliced to a transportation battalion. So it had uh, uh, like eighteen wheeler trucks. We call them. Um, Nine 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 uh, fifteens and things like that, big uh-huh. uh, trucks like that, and other uh, five t- five ton trucks and two and a half ton trucks, mm-hmm. and so we were in a battalion sort of like that. And so, um, as we prepped for me, I was not uh, on the advance party. That means the the slice of our the members of our company that would deploy first to prep things and bring the battalion in, bring the company in once mm-hmm. we got there. So I wasn't on that, so I, I didn't think much of it. Right. Well, we had a four-day weekend. I got a call on that Saturday said, uh, hey, you can come in tomorrow with all your stuff. You're now on the advance party. You're leaving. <laughs> I go, uh, no, I'm not on the advance party. There uh, was another lieutenant on the advance party, so I think you made a mistake. I said, well, the the company commander called and said, you're on the advance party now. Wow. So I called my company commander, and at the time his name was Captain Jones, and said, sir, uh, this is uh, Lieutenant Ladner. I just got a call and said, I'm, I'm on the advance party. I wasn't scheduled to be on the advance party. He said, yeah, I made the change. You're now on the advance party. <laughs> he said, I know you can handle it. I'm thinking, why in the heck did he pick me to be on the advance party? Mm-hmm. So I went in on that Sunday with all my stuff, and um uh, they checked everything, and on Monday we got issued uh, ammunition. Mm-hmm. You know, based on your basic load right. for the weapon system that you carry. Mm-hmm. And I, at the, obviously, I had an M16 at that time. I didn't have a, we didn't have M4s in, right. in my unit, and I had a, a NCO that was a grenade launcher. He went. We took the supply sergeant. Mm-hmm. And we took another, uh, we took a um, food specialist. When you received that, uh, that ammo, things got real, real quick. Yes. And so we, we uh, they loaded us on buses and we went out to uh, Fort Hood Airstrip, mm-hmm. loaded a, at the time, a, a cargo 141. Mm-hmm. That was an Air Force plane. With, with our equipment, we took a couple of vehicles and, and other members of the battalion, mm-hmm. some other Hey, other lieutenants and in NCOs, and we had the battalion XO major. She led the advance party. Mm-hmm. Hold and that we thought, Joe. We gonna, got on a plane, flew gonna, through Germany, and ended up in Saudi Arabia. We're gonna take a short break, and then we'll come yes, back. Sir. I got a unique question I want to ask you that uh, we've been asking everybody. We'll come right back to you after we uh, pay some bills. And one of the uh, things we're going to talk about paying a bill is. Uh, the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. The executive director is Colonel Rick White, retired, and it is something you've got to see. And also coming, and please write this down on your uh, calendar, March or 28 March is going to be the ribbon cutting of the Healing Wall in Johns Creek, Georgia. That's the replica of the 
It's a 50% size of the healing wall, the wall in the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C., and it's going to come to rest and have a permanent home in Johns Creek, Georgia. Also want to mention that uh, Peachtree Corners also has a monuments uh, dedicated to veterans. We're turning into quite a state of of distinction that we honor our veterans. We don't make fun. We don't anything. We just honor our veterans and first responders. So keep in mind if you're traveling through Georgia, please come by Johns Creek or Preach Street Corners. They're in the same neighborhood sort of. And also downtown for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. It is fantastic and I'm sitting across from someone in the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, General Richard Dix, and uh, it is an honor and a pleasure to be with him, and hope uh, that you all will tell your friends. We have another show coming up that will be starting very shortly that's called Special Agent, or Agent in Charge, I'm sorry, Agent in Charge, and this is a... uh, veteran of the FBI that will be telling some stories that will knock your socks off. Uh, They've been declassified where we can use them, and so stay tuned for information on that. We'll be back on America's Web Radio with more of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame show right after this. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org Listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio with our good friend General Richard Dix and uh, Colonel Retired Joe Latner and Colonel Don. So let's get back into it. And uh, I think you had a question. Yeah. So Joe, uh, when you guys went out on the advance party on that one forty one. The, uh, the bulk of your equipment that was in the motor pool that was being loaded, uh, was it uh, was it sand colored and prepared for the desert, or was it OD green and you had to paint it? So it was all sand colored. Uh, 
hand colored. We got it painted at Fort Hood. Okay. Uh, Fort Hood is pretty big, so we we had to run everything through uh, painting. Mm -hmm. And before the advanced party left, we had already took the bulk of our equipment down to the Port of Beaumont to load up on our ships. Mm -hmm. So once again, just as uh, Colonel Wilson talked about last week, you know, you had to go through another drill where you had to take uh, paint uh, the tanks and the other uh, mechanized equipment that was designed to face the Russians in the folder gap or the Chinese or the North Koreans in Korea, you had to paint them and get them ready for the Middle East environment. So, uh, yeah. Yes, sir. We, uh, we did. Um, there was an order merit list for painting equipment at Fort Hood mm -hmm. and those units that were deploying uh, faster. Uh, we got in right away. I will tell you, we got all of our equipment uh, painted in about a week. Wow! At Fort Hood. So uh, you know, whoever makes cart paint in the desert uh, pattern <laughs> were heroes, uh, especially for Fort Hood. Oh, how, yeah. how many divisions did you guys deploy? We had two divisions at Fort Hood. Okay. We had the First Cavalry Division and the Second Armored Division. Mm -hmm. uh, those that may not know. Uh, Prior to Desert uh, Storm or the invasion of Kuwait, uh, the decision had been made by the Army to uh, inactivate the 2nd Army Division. Mm. And uh, they were about maybe a third of the way through that process when uh, uh, Saddam Hussein invaded the Kuwait, and so everything stopped. Wow. And then you had to turn the switch back the other way. And, That's re right. and reactivate the division. That's right. Sir, how much of that was, um, I don't want to say infiltrated, that's not the right word, but uh, with ARs and NG companies and battalions throughout Texas? Uh, well, uh, or supplement I don't know the exact say. number, but I would tell you my, my company ran uh, what we call the security warehouse, that as we refit uh the division or, or got ready to them to turn in stuff by brigade they had to turn in their uh mvgs they had to turn in their weapons all weapons whether they were uh, individual weapons or crew serve weapons and they were inventoried and we packed them and we sent them back to the depot in the army now all that changed uh once they got the order to stand back up, mm -hmm. and we went through that the reverse of that process. Right. So your some of the personnel had already been moved and shipped to other duty stations. So did you guys get replacements from the the reserves and the National Guard there in the state of Texas, or we you know? we did have reserve and National Guard uh, deployed to Fort Hood, mm -hmm. but uh, they served garrison positions. If you remember. Sir, back then, most of the installation support functions were performed by soldiers with a small slice of government civilians. Right. So we we did have National Guard and Army Reserve soldiers uh, units deployed to Fort Hood, but they backfill those units like uh, our my unit mm -hmm. that did a garrison function, the security warehouse. We had backfill of reserve and national guard that came in to take those missions on oh, okay. now we did have national guard and reserve that deployed also mm -hmm. because we my company was sliced over to uh 
a reserve battalion headquarters once we got to uh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay. So just uh, similar to the 20, 24th Infantry Division, David, they, they took their reserve and National Guard elements with them and uh, deployed as a total force. So that was a precursor to what you see today as uh, one army, one force that yes, trained together Definitely. at uh, the National Training Center or the JRTC or over in the European Training Center and then deployed as a combined arms team. Okay. Much more functional. Yes, absolutely. Much more. Okay. So what were some of the, uh, you know, give me your top three, uh, Joe, that uh, stuck out while you were going through the deployment process in country, executing uh, combat, and then, you know, what did you use or put in your uh, rucksack that uh, carried you all the way to uh, Fulberg Colonel? Well, sir, I-, I could tell you some of my lessons learned. Uh, number one, uh, I would tell you the importance of teamwork because mm-hmm. no one can accomplish any mission or anything by themselves. Um Sir, I, I, I would have figured that the first thing you'd said is, listen to a sergeant. <laughs> no, sir, I mean, training, uh-huh. being prepared was another thing that came, uh, that stuck out for me. Uh, because uh, I'm a big proponent of rehearsing. Because mm-hmm. if you don't practice and rehearse, number one, it can cost lives. I learned that in Desert Storm. Right. Uh, or you just won't know what to do when you need to do it and no one can depend on you. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing for me was being flexible. Mm-hmm. You know, things would change. So make be prepared to make necessary adjustments. And uh, knowing my craft, knowing your craft, knowing your job, mm-hmm. learning how to do it better than anyone else, and uh, always being prepared and looking at things from uh, second and third or looking at them three-dimensional. Right. Look at what things will happen, what could potentially happen from your decisions, your action, or your inaction. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, David, that's where the NCO comes in, just off of what Joe just touched on, was that, you know, that training is a critical uh, piece that we've been talking through from show one to now about, you know, how you function as a team and you avoid that divide and conquer aspect that the enemy always tries to inject uh, on the battlefield. I would agree with that, sir. So would you uh, So would you say as uh, when you did your battalion command and went back to the Middle East, uh, what, how did you how did you implement those lessons learned into what you were doing when you commanded uh, in Kuwait? I think for me, um, uh, leadership style, rather, is uh, lead by example, uh, trust but verify, mm-hmm. you know, and have high standards. Well, that's one of the big things I learned from, I think, my first battalion commander at uh, deploying to Desert Storm with him. Mm-hmm. Have high standards and train to him. Uh, make sure that your subordinates rise to that standard, that you don't lower your standards. And... Uh, Anybody that worked for me would tell you I, I, I trust them all out, and I'm going to do what I ask them to do. But I'm also verify mm-hmm. what they tell me because I'm going to know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, I, I think a leader got to always be prepared. Mm-hmm. You can't go in any situation and not prepare. So a leader has to dedicate more time to 
learning the mission, looking over the things and how that mission affects his left and right uh, above him and mm-hmm. below him. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I took that and uh, implemented that and lived by that when I was battalion commander. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, when we come back from the uh, backside of this break, I want to ask uh, Colonel Ladner about some initiatives that he's doing down in the Fort Benning area and uh, how it's affecting the youth in the Columbus area. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Yeah. So we're back, and uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Colonel Joe Ladner. And, uh, Joe, what I wanted to touch on and uh, what Dave and I talked about uh, during the brief was the camaraderie that uh, came out of Desert Storm and uh, the, the need and to mentor those that come after you and uh, how you've uh, embraced that from your days at Fort Hood and uh, what you're doing currently in the Columbus uh, school system to make that a reality. So if you can touch on that for us. Okay, sir. Um, well, the camaraderie is a big thing. The, the, my platoon sergeant, my driver, uh, you just build a bond when you deploy and train with folks that last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And you know the importance of uh, people, teamwork, and just have a common shared um, goal. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I think um, it's very important to uh, for... Us to, for individuals, especially young men, to really have a sense of purpose and know that uh, there's more to life than uh, what they see in their surroundings. Right. Sir, could I ask, I'd like to ask both of you, really, when I served, and I'm old enough to be Richard's grandfather, but uh, <laughs> when, when I was in, you know, there was no fraternization with officer and enlisted you mm-hmm. just 
I mean, they everybody had their own golf course, and you just didn't fraternize. You didn't go out for a drink with your officer, even though you may have become very close friends. But do you feel like that uh, this has been overcome in the past, uh, particularly in Desert Storm and Desert Shield, where you may not go out every night, but you're still you can still be friends and you can still keep up with each other ten years, twenty years later, and all of this kind of stuff. And just like you said, you get, you get to know that Jeep driver pretty well when he's bouncing you along. Yes, sir, I, I, I do. That's a good point. I think uh, at least from my time coming in the army in 1989 on, there you do build a bond. You do have camaraderie um, but you do understand still about fraternization for me and my platoon sergeant my jeep uh, my uh, driver we developed lasting relationships and we we still keep in touch unfortunately my platoon sergeant from that time unfortunately passed away but that carries on to all of the ncos that you develop relationships with mm-hmm. i mean i'm a firm believer that i still believe the NCOs are the backbone of the army and uh, cool. when you train with someone and, and you have a really good NCO, that NCO stays with you and you develop a relationship with them mm-hmm. that you can always reach out and talk to someone. Like uh, I'm down here in Fort Benning, Georgia, and one of my um, sergeant majors from the battalion lives in Montgomery. And we talk at a minimum every month, every couple of months. We talk all the time and just catch up. And so uh, I do believe that uh, there is a fraternization policy in the Army that we stick by, but I don't think that fraternization policy stops you from developing a relationship, professional relationships with individuals right? I'll and bonds with individuals. I don't, I don't believe that that, uh, that policy prevents you from doing that. I think it enhances that. There's a difference between a professional relationship and a personal relationship, and the, the policy is geared toward uh, unhealthy personal relationships, I would right. say. Mm-hmm. And, and I would agree that it stemmed from the Vietnam era and how to uh, build a more cohesive, effective team between the officers and the NCOs as you prepare, train, and get ready to deploy into harm's way. You know, and, uh, you know, just like Joe just articulated, you know, I've got lifelong friends that started and relationships that started at Desert Shield and Desert Storm at Fort Stewart, Jordan, back in 1988. You know, my command sergeant major at the time was one of the maintenance NCOs in our task force. And 25 years later, he's my battalion and my brigade sergeant major in Afghanistan as I'm executing and now I'm the battalion commander and I'm now the brigade commander, you know. And those were healthy relationships that, you know, we uh, we clicked. We knew exactly what each other was thinking and uh, we knew we could trust each other and uh, take care of the unit and stuff. And I think that's paramount. Finish telling us about your your program down there in Columbus, Joe. Okay, sir. uh, What we're doing... uh, um, myself and members of my uh, fraternity and we partner with a, a local church here and we have a, a boys mentoring program mm-hmm. that's been proven and, and we, we've modified it to make sure the intent of the purpose of the program is to build character in young boys so they can maximize their full academic 
and social potential. We want them to be, we, in state, we want them to be productive in their environment and around the world for whatever they decide to do. And in, in this program, the objectives is to, are to increase their academics, increase compliant behavior while reducing defiant behavior. Mm-hmm. We want to increase their level of uh, appreciation and respect for themselves, others, uh, schools, and in their community. And we want to facilitate a healthy development from a moral perspective, physical perspective, and a social and academic perspective. Perspective. So uh, we get in there and we teach them. We focus on areas of discipline, boundaries, respect, honesty, integrity, accountability, and decision-making. And we focus and tell them that these focus area or these characteristics or characteristics that you would see in a man not what you hear in your community but what what a man a man is disciplined a man is self-controlled a man understands that there are boundaries and a man respects himself and everyone around him and they're honest and they're accountable for their actions uh, so we go into the schools um, Right now, we have two schools that we go in, Jefferson Davis Elementary School, where we go in once a week, mm-hmm. and we uh, sort of teach a class on these things. And in the class time, from the, the principal and assistant principal, the, the school administration has been great to allow us to come in. We go in at a time that's convenient for them, mm-hmm. for the schools. And we uh, we do have a PowerPoint where we talk slides and kind of teach a class, but we also provide an opportunity for the boys to share their experiences with us. And we want one of the ways that we reinf- we reinforce academics, um, reading and writing. We gave all the boys a notebook in the class. We do have them take notes, but we also ask them to define things in their own words. What do these things mean to them? Like integrity. We'll give them a definition. Well, what does that mean to you? And then we tell them, before you say anything, you think about what you're going to say, you write it down, and then we then you tell us. We're going to go to each boy and hear what each boy is saying. Because the thinking about it allows them to stop and pause mm-hmm. and learn to gather their thoughts then by writing it down, it reinforces the writing. Then we have them tell us that it reinforces the, their speaking because a man can hold conversation. They don't use four-letter words. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that's been real beneficial. Like, um, it's rewarding to me. Right. Uh, and I think, sir, it's rewarding to the guys that participate with us. Uh-huh. And we also uh, do field trips with the boys, and we're meeting with the parents toward the end of this month because a goal of uh, ours is to be able to change lives. You know, a lot of people go into school and mentor. Mm-hmm. But in order to change lives, you got to have relationships outside, outside of the school. Right. So we're meeting with the parents so the, and explaining the program so the parents know who we are so we can engage the boys outside of school hours. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds a lot like uh, some training that you've gone through, David, uh, as uh, being a young soldier and progressing up to the uh, NCO ranks. You know, it's very similar. And uh, I, I know for a fact that's where Joe gathered some of his uh, tenants and his principals from. 
But David, you know, when you were listening to him break down the program, you know, I, I noticed that you smiled, and you know, you kind of you had that flashback look on your face. Uh, <laughs> you want to tell that? You want to share that with the audience? I, I guess what I kept wondering about was the parents, uh, and and then you address that that you're going to be discussing it with them. But the parents' reaction to that, and that. As we sit here, the one word that describes the military is discipline. Mm -hmm. And in today's world, a lot of parents don't know what that word means, and they don't know how to apply it to their kids. And so you all come in, and I, and I was just curious as to uh, the reception that you have by the parents uh, to what you all are doing. Well, I, I would tell you, um, we get mixed results. We have some parents that... Uh, First of all, we do have a parent permission slip, and the boys in the program are, rec are recommended by the, the teacher. We want boys that uh, are not behavioral problems. We want boys that want to do things right and want to learn so we can reinforce those skills. But back to the parents, you know, uh, a lot of the children live in underprivileged communities. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of training the parents, too. So we got to have a relationship. I believe developing a relationship with the parents will enhance our ability to instill that discipline in in the boys and all those other uh, characteristics of manhood that we want to instill on on them. Because um, you know it's just a matter of time, sir. That I, I believe we, we tell the boys you are a boy by age on your journey to manhood. Because we focus on third, fourth, and fifth graders, but before long, they will be six, seven, eight high school graduates. Mm -hmm. So the the characteristics and the skills that they develop now will carry with they can carry with them uh, throughout their life. And so we we specifically target third, fourth, and fifth grade. And one of the principals asked us, "Hey, we need you to look at second grade." But uh, I, and, and we've started reading to them, but uh, we want to focus so we get the boys at an early age and so we can get away from that defiant behavior. When you mentioned di parents not having discipline, a lot, some parents want the school to do all the discipline, and so that's all that they're dealing with, and we want to decrease that and, and help the schools where they could uh, focus on education and not have to worry about defiant behavior. And we believe that uh, if we, when we do this program right and instill these characteristics in the boys, they will police themselves uh, in terms of uh, be leaders in the school. Mm -hmm. You're in this program, and we call it uh, Black Tie Boys Program. We also give them a white shirt, black tie, and black slacks. So when we go out in public, you look the part because people are going to perceive you based on how you present yourself mm -hmm. and that presentation of yourself starts with your hygiene it start and it leads on to your clothes and your attitude and, and your conversation sir what what you're doing is in in my listening to you is uh missionary work which i i'm curious has your program been going long enough that these the boys become missionaries and they spread the word to other kids that this is how you do it and this is why we do it and so has it been going long enough to see some of that kind of results yet? 
Uh, no, sir. I don't think it has. Now, uh, for for me, it's been a, a, a two-year process. Uh, for a, a couple other guys that, been in the, that are in the program mentoring with me, they've had parts of this program that they've seen uh, work to some, men, some young boys, but I don't have the data to uh, provide right now. I think over the next two plus years we should have the data because we'll be seeing anecdotal we had one young man that's been in the program two years and he's now uh in the sixth grade but he had a change he his defined behavior went away he learned to just uh speak and say yes sir no ma'am and listen to the teacher and focus on his his um, academics he's a bright young man mm -hmm. but he had a lot of challenges and a lot of uh, anger issues. I think some of the things we're dealing with with a lot of young men, uh, young boys, are anger issues. And learning how to overcome their environment. How many programs like this are, are around? I, I can't comment. I only know of this one uh, that we do. I, there are a lot of programs that are mentoring young young children. Now, I'm going to say that but I don't know many programs uh, like ours that we look for that uh, feedback from the teachers and the parents because we want to see that our program is working. Yeah. And we want to stay with the young men, young boys, from the time they're in the program to the time they get to high school and encourage them for those that uh, have that desire and demonstrate the academic aptitude to go ahead and go on to college. And the ones that don't, I'm tell, we tell them, hey, the military is a good opportunity. There are trade schools, learning things um, like a, being an electrician, a plumber, and things like that. Those are things where they are productive citizens. Those are jobs where you'll be productive citizens. So it gets back to what you were talking about last week, David, about um, you know reactivating the trades programs and not really focus all of our efforts on uh, IT profession or you know because everybody's not suited for that and you got more folks that are out there uh they believe in hands-on and uh you know they're great with their hands and uh joe and his fellow mentors are are you know touching some of those youngsters right there would you uh sir would you keep us posted on how the program is working and did uh, did we cover how many young men you have in it right now uh at one school sir we have uh 16 young men sir i was only school. i was only a grunt you can just yell at me <laughs> oh yes <laughs> yes sir and at another school we have about 20 um we're deliberately deliberately keeping it small and growing from there because we got to have the resources for the uniforms per se mm -hmm. for the when we do the after school field trips, things to reward the boys, because they are boys, so you got to keep them engaged, got to keep them active. Mm -hmm. We took them on uh, the first field trip uh, here locally to the uh, National Infantry Museum at Fort Hood, I mean at Fort uh, Benning here, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of them that was their first time ever getting out of, and they're from Columbus, wow. really going through it, and the museum was great. It's mm -hmm. a program where they, the education program, they took the boys through the museum, with a tour guide, and uh, we just took about two hours. They got a chance to ask questions and and to just engage in the history mm -hmm. 
of that museum military history standpoint and then we uh, fed them right there at the at their museum they had a snack bar you're able to feed them so they are uh, we have a lot more plans you know botanical gardens and other things more educational type uh, outings but uh, uh, if I could um, give a shout out to uh, Mr's Barbering Company here in uh, Columbus, Georgia. They partner with us to provide free haircuts to the boys. We take them there monthly. Wow. And the barbers in there cut their hair for free and teach them about uh, taking care of their hair and and uh, helping us with uh, appearance. So there are a lot of good... Uh, I would definitely thank you for welcoming them, uh, for asking, that, asking me about the program. I'm excited about coming back and giving statistics on where we're going and what we're doing and how the young men are progressing. Yeah, when you come to Atlanta to, to visit the sights and sounds here, bring them by the studio so we can get them on the show. Yes, sir. Cool. Yes, sir. That'd be awesome. Thank you, guys. If I might add, one one place that um, I remember when I was a uh, Indian guide, I, I guess I still got them, I don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, when I was an Indian guide, one of the places that... Um, we toured, and it always, always, and still does make an impression on me, was that our leaders took us to the local jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided then and there, I really wasn't interested in doing any more than a brief visit. <laughs> and, uh, and Thank we'll, you, sir. That's uh, a wonderful uh, uh suggestion and I'm going to take that down that's probably a good way to get their attention oh it <laughs> it didn't mind I think I was about uh, eight or nine years old and mm-hmm. I thought Mm-mm, I don't like any part of this right. and uh, I I always remembered it and still do and still don't yep. <laughs> I don't want any part of it absolutely and uh, it, it will you know and, and you don't have to even say a whole lot you just you know you don't have to give a speech on, well, if you continue to be bad, this is the way you'll end up. No, that soaks in real fast, you know? <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely. So I didn't mean to mess in your business, but I do want to no, extend... Uh, no, that helps. Uh, it, it takes everybody to do this. Absolutely. And we welcome suggestions and recommendations that will really enhance our program and really get the board's attention. Well, I want to expand on uh, Richard's uh, comment and that... Uh, you know, anything that we can do, if uh, we've got some, I don't know what your all's uh, program is for donations and so forth, but uh, my radio station will be glad to do some PSAs for you, be glad to, uh, uh, I don't know, are you all a 501 or? Yes, sir, we have a 501C okay. uh, that we go through, uh, we actually got two, one with the church and one, our organization is Service for Humanity. Uh Five hundred one C. Well, uh, we'll keep. I'll get the information from uh, Richard, and I'll be in contact with you, and we'll uh, we'll uh, put you up on our website. And uh, any any announcement or anything that you have that comes up new, and uh, we also have a um, former FBI agent that's going to be starting with us very shortly, mm-hmm. and uh, his show will be called Agent in Charge, Agent and in uh, charge. he will he'll be. Uh, you know, he'd be. I know him well. Sandy would be flattered to uh, talk to any of your boys about a career in uh, the government. Absolutely. But um, you know, you can't beat 
a career in the military, and uh, they finally the world is waking up to how good our military is and and how important it is. Yes, sir, I agree. So, uh, what else? We got about uh, about three, four minutes to go. What else would you like to say, sir? I'd like to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to uh, just talk a little bit about the military and my experience and give me that uh, a platform to speak about our boys' mentoring program. Uh, I welcome, I thank you for what you're doing and giving uh, prior, getting veterans a voice to Ooh. speak on the, on the radio because there's not many that really understand what veterans go through. So thank you for what you're doing with your radio station. Thank you. We, uh, uh, Richard and I have talked about this many times. Uh, it's the largest fraternity in the world, Amen. and uh, everybody's a brother and or sister. And, you know, it just, um, I don't know, it was something I had to do from, right. from my standpoint. And uh, I'm very fortunate that... Uh, love Richard like a brother. He is a brother. And and the folks that work with us, uh, Rick White, uh, Mike Mazel, and mm-hmm. so many others that uh, have Mike come Roby. forth, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Donna Rowe. And uh, there's not a, not a dust off that uh, I wouldn't hug. And uh, those, those pilots are just incredible. And the gunship pilots are incredible. And uh, you know, I just I can't stand the thought of anybody not appreciating our military and what they've gone through, and and I don't know of even even the old guy sitting across from me. I bet if push came to panic, he and I would uh, break each other's arm getting out the door to reenlist. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, remember, Dave, it is a young man's game. It is. <laughs> As I'm learning more every day. Absolutely. Everything's a young man's game. But. Absolutely. Now, we ought to talk to Rick about uh, getting a table for the uh, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony that's held in November. Mm-hmm. And uh, having Joe and his uh, young men come out there and observe that uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Oh, I, I think, think that'll be great for those kids. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I uh, think we could do that uh, Sir, I think right. yes, sir. I, I welcome that. Thank you. I'm taking a note now to the military, Georgia Military Hall of Fame, and getting the boys up there. That would be great. I, I welcome uh, your support and sponsorship in any way that we can to get the boys up there. Well, thank you for your service, and thank you for what you're doing. And please keep us posted on uh, what you are doing, and as it grows and continues to grow, and if um, you get some, uh, just like the Hall of Fame, has gotten other states interested in pursuing halls of, Hall of Fames. Did I say that right? Yep. <laughs> halls of Fame. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it would uh, it just, it's just reaching out. Everybody has to, has to, nobody's an island, as the song goes, and uh, nobody fought the battle by themselves. Absolutely. And, uh, yes, sir. We uh, we want I want to uh, also mention that uh, the Birdwell Foundation in Texas, which is also expanding into Georgia, mm-hmm. is doing a wonderful job with and for the military and first responders that uh, 
come back with uh, PTSD. And this is, uh, you know, in the past few years we've attacked P- PTSD as some kind of new whatever, mm-hmm. but it's not. We've always had it. Yep. Uh, shell shock, uh, whatever you Battle wanted to fatigue. call it. Yeah, battle fatigue, right. And, uh, you know, we've had it since uh, the Revolutionary War, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Anytime uh, a bullet goes past your head and, and doesn't get you, you have, you know, you're liable to have PTSD. Amen. And uh, it's just something that, uh, you know, with your kids, sir, are they from broken homes mostly, or do they have... Uh, a parental situation? Uh, some live with their grandparents. Some do live with their uh, parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, majority of them, they're just from the unpri- underprivileged neighborhoods uh, that don't have a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. uh, here in Columbus. And so uh, a lot of organizations are, are coming in to help them. But I, I do think it starts with the the young young boys well you got to get them to have the right attitude the right character sure and uh, you know if they haven't been exposed to it then they you know something else that i'll i'm i'm full of great ideas for somebody else <laughs> but you know something uh i don't know if y'all teach it but uh how important table manners are and uh you know if they can sit down at a table and eat with anyone mm-hmm. and be correct in the way they do it, it's amazing how far that'll get them. Yep. You are correct, sir. You're correct because we're, we're teaching them how uh, uh, to tie a tie. Right now we only got the clip on, but we have ties, so we can teach them how to tie a tie properly, how to wear it properly. And I'm going to incorporate table manners. you got to... We always give them, take them out to eat, but we need to take them somewhere where they can sit down and learn how to uh, eat with anyone. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, sir, it's been a pleasure having you on. And, Joe, I want to thank you for uh, making yourself available and uh, sitting here and talking with us. And, uh, you know, yes, sir, anytime. You thank you guys for what you do. And I look forward to engaging with you in the future. Okay. Great. Thank you, cool. sir. All right. You've been listening to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame Hour with our host, General Richard Dix, and a close friend. I, Absolutely. You know, I want to add that always. Uh, and the last thing I want to add is God bless America and our troops around the world. Stay safe. Stay strong. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.